Welcome to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline. I'm your host, Monica Hadley. I'll be your solo host this week. We have um, kind of an unusual book to discuss today. The author's name, if I pronounce it correctly, is Brother Ludovico. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Brother the title, Ludovico. And the title of the book is Brother Maria. Now, Brother Ludovico is a um, pen name, for those who haven't figured that out yet. And he is a poet and playwright who lives in a small town in the Midwest, but he's lived throughout the world. He's lived in Italy. And this book is set primarily in 14th century North Central Italy. Uh, It's dealing with the largest and most significant pandemic that that ever happened in recorded history, the Black Death. And it's both a treatise on death and the transitoriness of life and an insight into medieval monastic life and a love story. So welcome to Writer's Voices. What do you want me Thank to you. just call you in conversation? Brother? <laughs> that would be fine, Monica. Yeah, <laughs> okay. sure. You can, you, right. can call me, you can call me bro. Yeah. Bro? Hey, bro. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So this book is, is published by, a, um, by First World Publishing, which is um, a local publishing company here in Fairfield, Iowa. We've... Um, run by Rodney Charles, and he's the one who sort of put us together. Uh, Rodney himself has been on our show a number of times in years past, and, and several of his authors have as well. How did you and Rodney connect? Uh, just, I really don't know. I had contacted a number of publishers, uh, and Rodney being one of them, and, you know, most publishers... Uh, you know, aren't going to read your things or they're just going to give you refusals and, uh, you know, and uh, and so did Rodney, you know, and uh, I contacted him uh, a number of times and so on. And there was once where he, you know, actually sunk his teeth into the manuscript and, um, you know, and wow, that that was it. Yeah. I was going to say he's pretty keen on on this book. Um, so keen, in fact, that he nominated it for a Pulitzer Prize for the novel, and and can't say enough good things about the writing. So why do you think he didn't grab it right away? It's uh, just part of the modern world that we're living in. You know, I mean, no, it is. I, you know, I, you know, I do the same thing. Everybody does the same thing because we're bombarded with so much stuff. It's just, just so many things on a minute to minute basis that, you know, it's hard to grab our attention. One time we'll, you know, when something is presented to us or in conversation, right, anything, and so on. We've got, you know, seven other things in our mind. Monica, you know that, you yes, know, you, yeah. you know how busy you are. And if I were to call you in the middle of the day and say, hey, Monica, let's chat. Uh, I don't think that, you know, you're going to chat with me. You know, you've got, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a busy world. It's a very busy world. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So the, um, I, I will say that I, that I concur with, with Rodney that the writing in this book is exquisite. He, I asked him why, you know, how many other books he had over the years, um, nominated because, and I don't know if people know this, but anyone can actually nominate a book. For a Pulitzer yep. Prize, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but usually it's the publishers that do it. And the he said it's only he can only recall feeling a couple times in the past that a book like that um, deserved the nomination. And he said the writing was was just um, I'm trying to find his words here. Because I asked him what made him decide to nominate it. The writing is distilled to near perfection. Well, it's all music to my ears, you know. <laughs> but, but it's but it's but it's also you know a bit of surprise. Now, one thing about this this Pulitzer thing, you're right. I mean, any book can be can be nominated and so on. But for me, it's a it's a great it's a tremendous honor. You know, it's a tremendous honor. And when I learned, when Rodney told me, you know, uh, the first thing that I did, and this, <laughs> may, this is this is very true, uh, I drove to my parents' graves, and uh, and thanked them, and so on, because you know, more than anyone in my life, you know, those were the people responsible for anything, you know, good that would come out of my writing or anything out of my life. You know, and uh, I feel that, I, you know, the uh, my I, I have a, a, an advantage over other people, you know, in terms of, you know, putting, you know, poetry onto onto the page. I, I, I really do, because I, I was raised in a a small town in a, a blue collar uh, family. And uh, perhaps even a, a lower blue collar family, a family that was a family, and uh, and you know if I if I had uh, to say you know where where this whole thing came from, I would say that I inherited it from inheriting a, probably one thousandth of my uh, my father's heart. Father had a very good heart. Oh. Were your parents? interested in poetry or literature not at all not at all not at all monica <laughs> you know yeah and that you know and, and and that's part of the reason that uh you know i i like them so much not at all no they, they had no no idea but they accepted it uh, my father was a uh was a was a truck driver uh when my parents got married my uh, mother was uh, 15 years old, you know, she, you know, wouldn't graduate from high school, but, um, you know, they made a family you know, they were very, they're very beautiful people. Wow. So they, they support your writing career. Sure. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. 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 They said great, but I mean, you know, it, it's not like, you know, I, you know, it's, I, you know, I've been a writer, you know, all my life, you know, at a desk all of my life, you know, I did a lot of pick up jobs and, you know, that sort of thing through the years. I mean, you can't make your living, you know, writing 
writing novels in this world, not in, not unless, you know, I, I mean, writing, you know, very significant novels, it usually just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And I understand that. I accept it. I understand it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about some of the writing that you have done in the past before we get really into Brother Maria. So you mentioned to me that you have a collection of about a thousand sonnets that you've written. Yeah, yeah, and you know I've I've written a lot of a lot of sonnets and uh and so on and they're they they will be published. They they have been published in the past but only like in increments of like a hundred or a hundred and fifty or you know something like that you know and 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 some of them when i was very young and uh and so on and and now that they're getting to be uh you know quite a number of them you know i'm going to have them published and and soon you know i i would say within the next uh you know 24 months or something like that, you know, that's, that, that really is, you know, on the agenda, you know, I do have a publisher who has accepted, you know, the, the publishing them and so on. And I'm, you know, so I'm not just talking through my hat, you know, um, and so on. And those, those poems, those little, little sonnets, people, for people that might not know, they're, they're smaller poems. They're, they're 14 line poems that usually have a, a metrical and a, and a rhyme scheme and so on. And I, you know, I really don't even know how I started, but you know, I, I started doing it when I was very young and so on. And they, they really, I mean, they caught on in a way, but in a way they didn't catch on the way that I wanted them to and so on. And, but, what happened without without my knowing without it wasn't intentional the the poetry that i had trained myself to you know write in these 14 line poems and so on when i when i made the transition into prose which i vehemently said i would never do but when <laughs> i i did I, I i i said that i would never I would never do it and so on. And so what I did is it translated into prose, but a poetic prose. And so that, uh, you know, Brother Maria, I don't really consider a a novel like other novels are. I, it's a, I consider it a, a poem, a, a prose poem. And, uh, you know, it, when people read it, they I think that's what they're they're picking up on, and uh, and one other thing, you know, I mean, I'm getting a lot of uh, feedback from people that are reading it, and they're saying the same thing, you know, they they compliment me on the on the language and so on, but it, it's it's kind of a surprise to me in a way. I mean, it really is. It's you know, like I say, it's really nice to hear. And everything, but it's it's kind of a surprise. And the reason that it is is for the reason I just talked about. It's just kind of become second nature to me. You know, it's 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 literally how it it uh, it it comes out. You know? <laughs> so, Brother Maria is eight hundred pages long, and I'm 
guessing that means you worked on it for a really long time. So how long have you been living with this novel? Oh, for a long time. I mean, I drew I drew up the blueprint of it, you know, the outlines, you know, because I do all that, that kind of stuff. I write outlines and everything for everything that I write and so on. And, you know, I was in, I remember I was in Romania and so on when I first drew this up. And that was about 20 or 22 years ago and uh and so on but before that uh you know it had been it had been germinating you know for a long time before that i had written a uh, play called brother maria and so on but it was still born i mean nobody nobody really you know looked at it or cared about it or you know anything like that so it went on the shelf but i i liked the idea uh, the idea actually came uh, was was given to me when I was a boy, and it was given to me uh, unbeknownst by a, uh, a friend of mine who had we, we had a conversation, and uh, he said that he had read a book, and he it reminded the book reminded um, him of me and many of our discussions, and that you know that's when I was a kid. So um, it, you know, kind of, you know, it was there kind of the back of my mind, you know, for a long time. And then I start putting elbow grease on the thing, maybe, uh, oh, geez, let me, uh, I would say 12 or 15 years ago, you know, and so on. But I, I, I write in a very different sort of way. I, I really do. You know, I, that's why you're getting some of the reactions <laughs> that you're getting when people read the book. Well, what do you mean by that, that you write in a very different way? Well, it, I, you know, I, I, I just go over it and over it and then I get sick of it and I put it away and, you know, and I, you know, I look at each, you've read enough of the book that you know that each, each chapter is in itself, a story and uh you know that's kind of, you know it's a beginning and an end and then you know and so on and that's kind of what i mean and if i don't if i don't like it you know after you know five six seven years you know on, honestly you know i don't like it i throw it on i started over again <laughs> yeah. did you were there times where for this book that you threw out what you had and started over there were times when I threw out parts of it, but to be honest, I didn't throw out a lot because I had thought about it for so long. And I knew, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, you know, and, and that is something that it, it, this is just a personal opinion of mine. That's, that's something that's kind of lacking, you know, with, uh, with uh, a lot of novelists, you know, the, the, they're they're not sure they want to write and they're they they could be very good with language and you know everything but they're not exactly sure they're 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 fumbling for exactly what they want to bring from the uh from the the slab of marble in front of them you know what i i i knew what 
you know, I wanted to do before I took the chisel to the marble, you know, just kind of that analogy, I guess. So. And what was that? What was what was that seed that that was had been distilled already that you knew you wanted to to do? Well, there's a, there's a number of there's a, there's a, a a number of things. One is that that I I felt you know when I was a uh, when when I was very young that I was watching the fall of Western civilization and so on. And that's, you know, that's what <clears throat> I, I still feel. And, you know, to this day, I feel that for, you know, that we're, we're watching the disintegration of Western civilization, you know, that with its, with its, you know, with everything, you know, with its, not only just its wars and so on, but with its, the transhumanism, and uh, the posthumanism and the uh, the androgynous you know feel that we have to uh, to to all you know human relationships and uh, and all you know human transactions everything is is uh, you know it seems to there's a, like a sameness and androgynous there's almost a uh, kind of an an indifference that 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 of the collective in consciousness, and this is in sharp contrast to the to the people that were around me, and so on, because I was raised in in a uh, a spiritual community and so on, who said just the opposite, and uh, I, you know, that you know everything was would, would be right, everything would be good, everything would be you know bathed and suffused with light. And so on, and, and I said, well, you know, I, I, I like the idealism and, and everything, but, you know, I'm looking at a different world than you are. And, and that, uh, that world then, you know, I made a, a, an allegory out of uh, Brother Maria. Brother Maria is, is, is really an adventure story and so on it takes place in the 14th century like you mentioned in the prologue but it's a it's in it it's an allegory it need not be read as an allegory but it's an allegory of uh using the the black death you know the worst pandemic to ever you know sweep through the world as um um what's the current uh what the world is currently going through. And this is one idea, excuse me, Monica, but this is one idea that I would like to communicate. Yes, the, the brother Maria does, you know, uh, use the black death as, you know, as in its pages and so on. And I researched it a lot, you know, just book after book after book and so on. Um, but, the the Black Death that 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 took you know 40% of Europe let's say you know and that's kind of a modest uh, you know uh, you know it it some communities were devastated by 60 and 70% and and it did it very quickly but that the the Black Death for me is like a mosquito bite compared with what the world is going through today. And, you know, people might say that that's kind of a, a poetic leap, 
you know, or or something like that, or a bit ridiculous, and all. You don't know what it, what. I I don't think so. Uh, the the Black Death was was a, a horror beyond horrors, and so on. But when it when someone contracted the Black Death, you know they were done, and you know they sometimes twenty four hours, sometimes you know forty eight or thirty six hours. What we're talking about today is a living death, you know, so, uh, like a what people call a zombie apocalypse. And where where uh, people are um, left and with you know seeking for meaning in a meaningless world, and uh, well, that so is it, a it, very yeah. bleak look at the world. <laughs> it's very it's like the exact opposite of how I look at the world, which is that despite all well, the I'm, things I'm, happening yeah. now, the world is far better than it's ever been. More people have more opportunity to to enjoy life and and be free and um and have fun mm-hmm. than ever yeah, this is this is the this is the <laughs> argument that i've gone against forever you know ever since and so as a kid and, and the 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 reason the, the reason that i i feel like you know it's it's true what i'm talking about is that um is that if you look at the barometers, you know, you look at the you look at divorce rates, you look at the you know how the the drug rates, you look at the suicide rates, and so on. You look at the uh, the destruction of the of the of the family, the nucleus of the family. Um, you look at uh, you know how many people are attending church and so on. It. It does appear, it's an illusion, I feel, is an illusion that where we have many more opportunities and, and so on. And many of them are, we, we know are wonderful. We know we're, with this interview, we're, we're sharing one of those wonderful opportunities that, you know, the world did not have, you know, 100 years ago and so on. You know, but there's this other side of things. And I have <clears throat> I just, I, I've been hearing uh, that other people now are picking up on that. You know, maybe AI is more a mistake than, uh, you know, at least the rapidity of the evolution of AI is more of a, a mistake than anything else. Anyway, that's the, you know. That's <laughs> well, AI, I've I just been reading an article in Vanity Fair on the on the risks of AI and and, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that any of that is good and I'm and and I'm not you know I certainly haven't adopted its use very readily and don't think that I will and I'm thinking like okay so they're saying that AI is going to replace all these jobs but then what are people going to do you know sure. and it's like well, what well. are what are people going to do and nobody you know and a lot of the the tech bros haven't really thought that far ahead. And they don't. They, they don't. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. that's a whole other story. But but honestly, I don't think um, I don't think you're looking at things from the perspective of women at all when you're saying you know that things were so much better in some distant some distant past. <laughs> Well, that's you know that, that's that's perhaps stepping in into you know territory that you know is 
is uh, you know a territory that you you that perhaps we shouldn't be you know yeah, stepping yeah. stepping into because it's controversy. It's like political. You right, know, you know, right. like, you know, I step away from the political. I step away from the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the gender thing, the transgender thing, and uh, all of that. You know, because it's so controversial, and so on. And and quite frankly, my life, I just stay away from it. I don't, I don't, you know, think about it that much. Mm. So, tell me about Brother Maria, the character and how he came to life for you well uh first of all maria is a a name that uh um uh, maria the name itself is a name that is given to men and so on it may not be brother maria and so on but it was given to men uh in the the middle ages a lot and so on, usually, not always, but usually as a middle name, sometimes as a first name, uh, but lots of times as a middle name, and so on. Brother Maria uh, was born in with with pagan roots, you know, in Romania, and uh, made his way to uh, Italy as a number of the the gypsies, a number of the gypsies did in the 14th century and so on. He was adopted and became a monk. He became a very, uh, um, very astute, very good monk and so on. But uh, as, you know, fate would be, he be, he fell from his monkhood and he became a what we would call a, a a reprobate, and he went the other way, and uh, he became not only a reprobate but a a profligate and a a a lover of the other the sensual side of life. Um, this is in contrast. It, it's it, he's an archetype, and this is in contrast with the archetype of an abbot. Um, you know, uh, Father Giovanni, who became his friend, who was a very close friend in the monastery, and so on. And Father Giovanni it was, is a very strict religious and uh, and a very good man, and so on. But they, they retained their friendship over the years, and so on. Those years, including the years when the great famines when the the precursed the um the great the black death were uh, sweeping through italy and then the black death itself um so there that juxtaposition the you know brother uh maria the profligate and the the saintly abbot um is present in the book and the reason that I've done this, you know, to play on this this difference between the sensual and the spiritual, the feminine and the masculine, that that all of your, you know, your Jung and your Freud and your famous psychologists talked about, and and so on. The reason that I did that is that I wanted to create a um, I wanted to create the human being naked of of 
all of starting over again. Um, the Black Death it destroyed de- destroyed all of the the institutions. I mean, the the, the priest, you know, the great priest and uh, and and monks fled for the most part. They they fled the Black Death. I mean, they didn't want to be contaminated with that stuff. And uh, and so there was there was nothing. There was no it was no education. People were afraid of being near each other. They ran <laughs> from each other. Yeah, so, like and, we did recently with yeah, COVID. It's, yeah, it's the, yeah, it's the same thing. It's COVID on steroids, you know. And uh, you know that's that's why. Now here's another thing, you know, because. Uh, you know, people might think that I'm exploiting, you know, the pandemic, the uh, the the COVID, you know, whole thing that we've gone through. And that's not true. Uh, when COVID hit, I can distinctly remember. In fact, I was, you know, sitting right where I'm sitting right now and so on. My, my table that I usually eat on, um, I couldn't eat on. And the reason is, is because it was piled high with... Uh, with Black Death books, you know, research on the, <laughs> on, on the Black Death. So, you know, it, I, I, I thought it was funny. You know, it was, you know here, here was COVID, and I'm sitting here, you know, writing about the Black Death. You know, you know it's like <laughs> I, I didn't know whether that was a you know, pat on my shoulder or, or you know, a, rib <laughs> my, a poke in my ribs, you know, and, and so on. But um, that's basically it, Brother Maria. Is a um, is a is a profligate. He becomes a carouser, a a great favorite of women, and uh, women, you know, um, are attracted very much to him. He's a very attractive man, and uh, has no idea what he's doing in life. He wanders through life, and he uh, draws on his gypsy. Uh, past and begins to be a, a musician, one that plays and, you know, makes his living in taverns and and so on, becomes a great, uh, becomes a great lover, a lover of wine, a lover of women, a lover of all of this. Well, the abbot, abbot uh, Giovanni, uh, remains uh, austere and so on. And I I want to emphasize that in the book and in my eyes, this austerity is just as much a champion, if not more of a champion, than the uh, profligacy. The profligacy is easy to write about. You know, that's easy to let the poet uh, in you just kind of, you know, dance across the page and, you know, write about uh, the landscapes and about the the pretty women and about the you know uh, that side of life and so on. But the austerity is another thing. And um, I because well, I mean Nietzsche has said that you know God was dead, and and uh, that to me is what is playing out in in modern civilization. I mean it's it's. You know, playing out just in statistically in terms of, you know, how people are, um, you know, they're not attending churches and uh, and and so on. 
And but Father Giovanni becomes a an, an equal champion, you know, in in the book. You know, I you know I he's a very very great great man. So Brother Maria isn't necessarily necessarily the hero of the story. They're both. They're, they're both they're both heroic because it's the it's the the feminine the masculine marrying and uh, becoming balanced and what it is here's what it is in a nutshell and so on is that during the Black Death it was so horrible that all institutions were destroyed people didn't know where to go they couldn't go to confession. You know, they locked themselves in their houses and died and so on. I mean, they couldn't get out. They were locked inside many times. They, there was nothing for them to do, to go to. There was nothing for them to reach out. And they, they were basically left in a, a, a meaningless world that God had forsaken. God had forsaken them. The only the only show that God was giving was not love, it was wrath. You know, that's you know, that's why they called it the, the Great Mortality. The the Black Death was not called the Black Death when it swept through uh Italy and Europe in the fourteenth century. It was called um Immortalega Grande, it was called the, the Great Death, the Great Mortality. That's how they called it, the great death, God's uh, punishment of sin, of, of the world, and so on. When you look at the world today, those institutions, and this is not just held by, you know, Bro Ludovico, and it's, it's held by, um, you know, countless other people. The institutions that we have lived for, that we have relied upon, that have given us reason and meaning, have been undermined one after the other. And so what are we left with? You know, you're, you're left with redefining or reclaiming and redefining what it is to be a human being. You know, and that's, you know, that, that's basically what Brother Maria is about. They're left in a, in a desert, in complete desolation, and they, they, they must, they have to reach out in any way they can to reclaim and redefine what they've lost. And what have they lost? They've lost a, a, a divine, a, a spark, a divine spark. So... All right. You're listening to Writer's Voices, and our guest today is Brother Ludovico, author of Brother Maria, which is a novel set in 14th century Italy during the Black Plague. You you mentioned that you did a lot of research, read a lot of books on the Black Plague. Are there some things that you learned that surprised you? A lot, you know, a lot, and so on. But there's one thing, when when the Black Death visited uh, Italy and and uh, and and Europe, it was the for the first time. It was in the 14th century. It it arrived in uh, in Sicily, in uh, in 1347, at the very end of 1347. 
and so on. And one of the things about the the the, the Black Death is, in, with that visitation, there was not a lot of records kept, and so on. We don't really have we have some, but we don't have a lot. And for one reason, well, there's a couple of reasons. One one reason is people didn't know how to read and write. I mean, you're going back very early, you know, it's the 14th century. You know, when it when it came through London, let's say in the in the uh, the end of the, the the 16th, beginning of the 17th century, people know how to read and write. We have chronicles of what was going on, and so on. But in the 14th century, although there's some, and so on, there's not a, you know a, a heck of a lot, and so on. But uh, so that's that's one of the things. And so on, and uh, and then you know just how quick and how devastating the uh, the whole thing was, you know. And when it came through, it divided the 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 people into different factions, like COVID. I mean, you can it it's just like COVID, but it's once again it's on it's on steroids, you know. Where there were people that were you know were completely afraid of it. And for good reason, you know, they're going to die. Right. Yeah. And, and so on. And for very good reason. And I'm not taking sides with, with the COVID, you know, uh, uh, controversies and so on. Because personally, I don't know. And so on. But there was that. And then there were people that just didn't care. You know, they, they just to, to, to live and get drunk for another day, you know, that was, that was, that was fine for them, you know. And so on. And the, in in some ways, the there it they became uh, bestial. You know, there was a, there was actually you know uh, places where you know bestiality was was uh, enjoyed and viewed and you know all of that sort of thing. And then there was the other side where where people were just carrying uh, religious icons around with them 24/7. You know, slept with them, and then there was just there were weird remedies. You know, of you know people you know, <laughs> tying, tying goats goats to their doors, and you know that you know, weird sort of things like that. You know that. Uh, yeah, it, it nothing's changed work. much, has it? <laughs> no, no. In a, in a way, it really hasn't, and that's it's just it's it's human nature. You know, it, it's it's human nature. One of the things that you know, that surprised me and people, you know, kind of, uh, when they read it, they say, oh, you know, Ludovico, did this really happen? Well, from all of my, from all of my reading, they think that it did happen. Uh, the, the plague started, the, the bubonic plague started at least in Mongolia. It could have started in, in uh, the Near East, but it, 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 at least started in Mongolia, and they they're pretty sure that it was transmitted from uh, rodents uh, to human blood, and so on. Rodents that um, people hunted and ate a different kind of rodent. It wasn't just just rat, you know. It was a different kind of rodent that was wild, and so on. And they you know they they ate them, and that that's how the whole thing started. Well. The 14th century is the time of the of, of the Khan of of the Golden Horde and of the Silk Road, and and so on. So they they brought the Silk Road 
the silk they they brought it on the silk road with the rats people you know know about the rats and so on and they infected inns and villages along the way some of them just were you know like completely devastated you know by it. and they had no idea what it was well at that time on, on the black sea there was a there was a small fishing village that became a metropolitan thoroughfare for trade and and so on and so on and uh the you know first well foremost one of the foremost uh peoples there were the italians and uh from northern italy and and they were there as tradesmen and so on but it this metropolis is called Caffa. it was you know Fiodicia to begin with but it it, it for our sake just was Kaffa, and in, and people it, it became a great metropolis with everything there, with all kinds of of uh, wares from uh, from Russia and from uh, India and from Italy from 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 everywhere. Well, they wanted to expand this, and they went to another village. Some of the Italians they went to another village when they had an argument. And once again, to, you know, repeat what we are going through today, it was with some Islamist and so on. And they had a they had a big difference. We don't know what it was, but it turned into bloodshed and so on. And um, there were a few people that died and the the Italians ran back to uh, Kaffa. They 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 sought asylum behind the walls of Kaffa. And so on. Well, you know, the, the, the Tartars didn't like that too much. And so on. These were, you know, very, very violent, you know, people. And uh, and they didn't like, you know, what they had seen in the streets of this other village. So they laid siege to the walls of Kaf. And they were there for years and so on. And But the walls would not yield. They left. And when they came back, but they came back. And when they came back, they had catapults. They had catapults, and the numbers around the siege, the second siege, began to be infected. They began to die, and so on, with you-know-what. Well, as the theory goes, although we don't know, this was in uh, 1340 or something like that, you know, it was a long time ago, and so on. But the theory is, is that they put these corrupting bodies on the catapults. And they uh, catapulted them over the walls into. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's 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 extremely gross, and so on. And we, you know, you can imagine what happened after that. Well, they they finally they, the the siege died out, and the I- Italians fled, and so on. They got on their boats and and fled, but when they fled, they fled with these little creatures called rats. And uh, and so on, and they infected, you know, Constantinople and and uh, the rest of the and um, and the rest of you know Europe and the world, and that's you know kind of in a nutshell how people think that it, and are pretty sure that that's generally how the whole thing started, and then of course when it when it swept into the the societies and the culture, people had no idea, they had no. No idea. They had no idea how to defend themselves, or you know, they would wake up, you know, fine, and so on, and they would drop dead on the way to market, 
you know, it's, um, it's, you know, very grotesque, very different kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, the other thing that, you know, you write a lot about, of course, because of the, the storyline with the abbot is life as a monk during the time. How were you able to research that and how were you able to get the accurate details? I researched I researched uh, uh, medieval monasteries very thoroughly, um, and not only for this book, but for uh, another book that uh, that I'm writing, and and so on. And uh, I just did all of the research that I possibly could. I had things that I'm not bilingual in Italian, and so on. But so but I had a uh, a bilingual translator who translated uh, uh, Italian works for me, and so on. Uh, she was uh, Sicilian. She's no longer with me, uh, with us now. And you know, I I love her to pieces, and I'm grateful, extremely grateful to her. By the way, her name was the the feminine of uh, Giovanni, the abbot's name. Her name was Giovanna. (laughs) It was Giovanna. But uh, and so I did, you know, a a tremendous amount of uh, research, you know, in terms of what it was like, you know, behind the abbey's walls, both both for the sisters and for the for the brothers. And uh, and so on, and I had a, a I have a, a tremendous respect for them, uh, you know. Yeah, I have a, I just have a res- tremendous respect for their asceticism and their penances and their 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 faith and so on, because they were really the uh, you know the rock of Gibraltar, not just for the, the the Black Death, but for many things. You know, these were the custodians of of reading and writing you know they knew how to they most of them knew how to to read and write and so on other people did not yeah there's and so on yeah. there's a book that um that my son really liked when he was younger called how the monks saved civilization it was about the monks in ireland um that during the uh dark ages they're the ones who really saved all the writing and so from before so that when the renaissance happened that we weren't starting all over there you <laughs> go yeah there you go. exactly you know that's exactly i'd love to read the book but that's that's exactly the idea is you know when we look back you know in the through the dark ages these 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 monks and not just the monks the sisters you know as well you know um were uh you know the the custodians you know they they held a torch you know, through these these dark times, or they they were among those that did hold the torch. Other people held torches too, but um, you know they you know, they were very good stalwart people, and uh, you know that's why I you know one of the reasons why I I have a real problem with uh, people that denigrate you know the the uh, religion and and faith and and uh, so on. And one of the reasons that uh, Father Giovanni has you know became a a great champion for me mm-hmm. now in brother maria you know i started yeah. reading it but like i said it's 800 pages and since i'm doing a book a week it's not really possible for me to read that much in a week you know um 
the so the first chapter, the second chapter, I understand the connection to the part, uh, later part of the book. It's basically Brother Maria's origin story. But the first chapter, which is set in a small Hungarian village 60 years earlier, I wasn't really sure how that related. I'm sure if I, if I keep reading, I'll find out. But can you give me a hint? Yeah, it was uh, there was there was a raid. It was in Hungary, and so on. And uh, the Khan, the Golden Horde, you know, which was the the largest uh, kingdom that the world has ever known. You know, uh, Genghis Khan and his boys were the you know created the largest kingdom that to this day that the world has ever known, and it was spreading into Europe. You know, it was getting close to Europe and so on, and and uh, it actually um, crossed into Hungary. Uh, you know, at at that time, I forget the year. You know, uh, thirteen hundred or twelve forty like is what you have in the book. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, twelve twelve forty, yeah. and so on. That and that's when it, it actually made raids into into Hungary. It never, it, it never you know, completely conquered it, but it made raids into it. Well, the, the significance of that with, with Brother Maria is that at the end of that chapter, if you go back, Monica, and you read just the last little page, last few paragraphs, you have someone who is, um, is dying and so on. And he looks out a window and he sees a, a caravan a, a brightly painted caravan with brightly costumed and uh, uh, people and so on. And it's what uh, it was called gypsies. They were gypsies and so on. And they were making, they had survived. They had survived the raid and they were making their way into the forest and so on. And the dying man, you know, uh, thinks that perhaps the suggestion is that perhaps that 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 wild that wildness and that that uh, that sweetness that that organic whatever that the gypsies uh, symbolize would live in the forest it would live like the like the birds and the bears and so on and would somehow survive and it's that spark that is brother maria Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, we've had our All little right. lesson. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, okay. So, did you ever think about splitting this into more than one volume? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> it, it. It's a hard. It's a. It's a hard thing, you know, to to actually talk about. Um, and so on. I mean, uh, well, like you said, each chapter in a sense is complete within itself. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is, but it but it has strands that go throughout the whole book, Monica. Yeah. Well, and, so does the Game of Thrones, and you know, he it's like how many volumes? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> possibly. Uh, I know that uh, you know. Well. They, they've they've approached a number of authors and the authors you know kind of take my side they're vehemently they're vehemently against it because it's one it's one basically one 
thought and so on and the and the author doesn't really want it to be interrupted sharply interrupted now you probably read the uh the Romanian bloggers blog did you get that the review um the review yes yeah yeah okay yeah and you know and and he was talking about how he has a love for you know uh larger works and to just get lost you know to get lost in those larger works right and so right. On. and uh you know it 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 has there's a kind of a an invisible uh kind of uh, intangible kind of building building that occurs that are, at least the the writer wants to occur in the reader and so on so um there are other things about Brother Maria that if I was to, you know, to adapt a kind of a modern mentality to, would not be in Brother Maria. I wanted to be wild and raw. You know, I wanted to be a wild, poetic, uh, you know, uh, opus of the of the soul. You know, reaching reaching and trying to uh reach for its depths and uh and so on i wanted to be, i wanted to be unlicensed you know and and so on and i think that's that's why people have asked me why i i, I do that and and uh, you know because of the of the length and because of other things about it you know and so on and that's the that's the reason that i give them i i've tried in the past but uh, it just doesn't work with me. It just doesn't. It's it doesn't come out true with me, you know. Mm. Thinking that I'm going to be writing, you know, three novels, you know, that have to fit together, and so it it just doesn't. It it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Well, you mentioned this review, and um, I'm going to just read the last paragraph of it. Okay. It says, overall, the book sounds like Ken Follett, Umberto Eco, and Stephen King decided to wrap their minds around the enormity of the Black Plague, and I'm all the richer, richer for having read it. This is a true epic of doubt and faith, love and passion, good and evil, art and depravity, a stellar novel which deserves all the stars in the sky. The views herein are entirely my own, and I would not do justice to this epic if it were not so. Send my regards to Brother Ludovico. <laughs> okay. Well, Very you can, nice. you know, Monica, you can send my kiss to the Romanian uh, <laughs> blogger and so on. It's very, very, very nice of him. And it's, it's completely coincidental that he is Romanian, you know, and that, they, you know, that the novel, you know, was drawn up and, uh, and the first chapters, you know, are in Romania. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's completely coincidental, you know, you know, uh, you know. And uh, and so he on. talks about, you know, that he says the Roma community is well represented throughout Warts and All. Of course, Roma is the more um proper name for gypsy and um yeah. and there's still are Roma communities that travel around and um and they still do you know, are discriminated against in a lot of places. 
Well, I think their population is uh, actually expanding. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I have I've seen them where I live. <laughs> I live in a small town, and so on. I've I've seen them here. I've talked with them, and so on. And it, yeah, it surprised me too. Yeah, like I drove by, and gosh, it looks like gypsies, you know. And usually, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the gypsy woman is is dancing, and you know, she's very flamboyant with her dance and with her costume and so on. And then, you know, her the gypsy man is usually uh, somewhere, you know, close, but he's he's not there in the the forefront. And so I drive by again. Yeah, there's the gypsy man too, you know. And and uh, and then I've you know I've stopped. I've talked with them. You know they're you know playing the violin and uh, and so on. I I talk with them as much as I can. I I my Italian is not very good, and their Italian is not very good either. I mean, they, they, <laughs> well, they they came from Italy, but a lot of them come from Albania and uh and and so on so uh right but, you know right. they do exist they do they, they they exist yeah well brother ludovico we are out of time for today and i want to thank you for being with us well thank you for having me monica thank you for <laughs> for letting for letting me uh go on here about well the, about and the we we always close with the quote and i found um a quote from the Plague by Albert, I'm not sure how you pronounce this last name, Camus or Camus or Camus. It's a very famous allegorical novel. I imagine you're probably familiar with it. And read it when you can. <laughs> what's true of all the evils in the world is true of the plague as well. It helps men to rise above themselves. All the same, when you see the misery it brings, You'd need to be a madman or a coward or stone blind to give in tamely to the plague. Yeah, there you go. You know, there and you that's my, that's my sentiment about the, <laughs> you know, the, the plague that's sweeping through the world now too. All right. Well, thank you so much, and see you all next week on Writers Voices. Ma okay, Monica. Blessings to you. Thanks. <laughs> thanks again. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye-bye.